Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. Oh, this one's going to be fun. You guys are in for the dynamic duo of Patty Comer and Amy Pack. And uh, this is a fun story, so I can't wait to unpack it. So we're going to even start the front end of it in kind of a fun way. So they and their families, they vacation together a lot, which is pretty cool. And so here's the scenario, ladies. You're in Costa Rica again. And the, the locals know you as soon as you roll in. But this time you guys are walking down to the beach or to the pool or wherever it is that you guys like to go. And somebody is talking about each of you, but they don't realize that uh, you can understand Spanish. <laughs> and they're talking <laughs> in Spanish about you. <laughs> But they don't know that you're fluent in Spanish. And so what is it, Patty, I'll start with you first. What is it that you would like somebody to be saying about you? Um, and then, Amy, I'll ask you the same thing. I'm pretty sure that they would say those are those two great ladies that took care of us the last time that we were here. Um, those are the two ladies that asked me about my family and about my job and how long I've worked here and what do I do and tell me about your boss. Um, that's what they would say. I mean, we genuinely really care about all the people we interact with. Oh, that's great. I like that. Amy, what would, what would you say? Um, you know, I would echo that and just, you know, maybe that, you know, we're really in tune to what's going on, right? And paying attention to, the, you know, whoever we're talking to or whoever we're around and interacting with and um, being curious and, and really getting to know people and understand who they are. And, you know, when we were in Costa Rica last, and she used that example, um, you know, tried to understand their story and where they were coming from and, and what makes them tick. And then I think we're super plugged in. People would say that we're plugged in and we've got great to in intuition as to what's happening. Well, in my experience with you, I would say that's 100% true. Uh, and the reputation that you have in Charlotte, North Carolina, when I was having to sell with a competitor against you, <laughs> we just never beat you. <laughs> so <laughs> That's great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I hated selling against you. So, uh, Ben, why don't you take us to the next level? Yeah. So Amy and Patty are co-founders and principal partners of Acru Partners, which they started over 19 years ago. And what that does is they're providing staffing and executive search solutions. So we're going to dive into the company and, and the founding of it. Um, and, and they're also co-founders and advisors of uh, GG Locators uh, or Good Game Locators, which started uh, a little over two years ago. So appreciate both of you coming on. And I want to take us back to pre-founding uh, pre of the company. Um, paint the picture. Where were you before founding Acru Partners? All right. So I'll start it. Um, where were we prior to um, founding Acru Partners? So Patty and I both worked for a national accounting and finance search firm. Um, that has been gobbled up by other companies and the name has changed on a number of occasions. But um, we started within 30 days of each other. But prior to that, we both came out of the staffing industry in the light industrial world um, where we had to wear beepers and had people, you know, um, working different shifts, swing shifts, night, day, whatever you may call it. So we both entered the accounting and finance staffing world 
um, 96, 97 timeframe. She was in Charlotte. I was in Atlanta. And we um, were flying out to California for a quarterly meeting and our four, first quarterly meeting that was um, in our first 30 days. And we met at the airport. Um, and while we didn't room on that specific trip, um, we quickly connected. And with me being in Atlanta and her being in Charlotte, there was a lot of commonalities. Um, we had similar backgrounds, but going forward, you always had to room with someone else. So we always said going forward, um, the four meetings that we would have a year each quarter for a week long, that we would room together. Well, that quickly came the demise of our employment over the next four to five years. <laughs> so, so let's build off of that. So that was the demise. So uh, what was the, the catalyst, I guess, for the decision um, to leave that, that company and go start something yourself? There was a number of things that were happening in our personal lives. We were in our early 30s. So as women in business, um, we were struggling with, you know, the travel and trying to have a family and managing all these branches and all these people. And really, you know, we were making a really good living at that time, but just wanted to get back to the basics of really doing good work in the placements. Um, and working with the candidates and working with the clients and get out of spreadsheets and who, what client had revenue and who wasn't performing and making their phone calls. Um, coupled with, you know, we both had a couple of bad bosses uh, and uh, that created this beautiful spreadsheet called Project Independence that we would pass back and forth, which was our beautiful spreadsheet about how we were going to start this uh, firm. And so, you know, it was right before 9-11 that we started to put together Project Independence and uh, started to think about how are we just going to be the two best recruiters in the 16-county metro of Charlotte, and it was the two of us, and we were just trying to replace $150,200 a year income uh, and start having kids. So that's what we did. We uh, actually opened right after 9-11 on 3-2002. Uh, was our start date. Um, We have an anniversary every year that we celebrate that. Um, But she and I just opened the doors with the two of us and started cold calling and, you know, meeting people in the Charlotte community and doing what we, you know, wanted to get back to, which was really the foundation of our core, our our tagline that we have now, which is building people, companies, and careers. It really is to the core. Even the day we opened, we had that tagline. And today it's the tagline that really drives us is really just being connected with the people that we work with because outside of, and the pandemic showed this, outside of our health, which the pandemic scared us all to death, we thought we were going to die. The next thing that's important is your, you know, family. And then the next thing is, what do you do for a living? So we were really able to get back to the roots of building people, companies, and careers. And it's just followed us over these 19 years. But um, we started in an office off South Boulevard. We haven't moved. Love this area um we we lost your mic yeah yeah i know now you're back go ahead start over start over south south boulevard you were yeah just the south boulevard part everything else was good hold on it's because in the pandemic you have to keep going from headset to headset oh did it pick up a different one okay there we go yeah, no, it's the jack. You keep shoving it in and out all the time, and oh. it just gets loose. Yep. <laughs> okay, so South Boulevard, right? Yeah. Yep. 
Okay. So we started our first office um, off South Boulevard. We were out shopping space. And believe it or not, the office that we leased at uh, 2108 South Boulevard was owned by Ronstadt Staffing. They had wow. gone defunct during, yes, during the last downturn. And that was in the, 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 the 9-11 downturn. They dis disseminated that office. They left everything, brochures, uh, they left their voicemail system, which when you first start a company back in the day, voicemail was about $60,000. <laughs> wow. So we were hey, able a to fax machine. Don't forget about that. <laughs> yeah, we had a fax, those machine. fax machines. <laughs> we had a voicemail system. So we negotiated with Ronstad for $2,500 to buy everything in the office and get started with our business. And um, the funny thing is our CPA discovered several years later, they never sent us an invoice. Well, the wow. bottom part is, is they asked us to send us the list of the assets in the office because they didn't even know what was in the office. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's an amazing start. So before we, we keep going down that path, I want to go back to something you had talked about with Project Independence. So uh, first off, how, how long were you guys building Project Independence and what were some of the things that you were putting in there? Yeah, so it probably, um, we had Project Independence and building on it for probably six, seven months, Patty, somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, we, we were building the budget based on um, number of contractors that we could place with average, average pay rate, bill rate, margin, perm placements. Um, and we started the business with three lines of business. Today we have six. Um, and then, you know, as we were shopping for office space, right, we were trying to go for the lowest price we could potentially find, and which we did. Um, and then, you know, we were on a shoestring salary ourselves, right? So it was a pretty bare bones budget. It was really just enough to get by. So I'll, I want to ask you about that because every entrepreneur goes through that unless they started right out of college when they were already eating ramen noodles. But, you know, most everybody else. Now, Ben, he, he, he started his first one when he, when he was 19. So he didn't do It's that easier. Before. You don't have standards when you're 19 years old. You can, you can grind out and you don't know the difference. <laughs> exactly. So talk to us about the impact and the support or lack thereof, I don't know, uh, from your significant others and your family members that were used to, I mean, you're pretty powerful women, you know, were really successful. You're drawn and bringing home good salaries. And then all of a sudden, hey, uh, we got more money going out than coming in, or we've cut our, our, ourselves way back to the bare bones, what you said, Amy. Talk to us about that transition and, and the support, or what was that like? I mean, it was really scary. Um, I think I may have left out of the story in the midst of all this. Amy had a six-month-old child and was a single mother. Wow. So um, we were taking a big risk. But, you know, we, we use that, that budget and that as a just when we still do this to this day, um, we look at the numbers and decide what we can accomplish and we pinky swear on it. And that is the number. And we agree to that. And so even back then, 19 years ago, she and I knew what we needed to do to that first year, I think we paid ourselves $50,000 or something. Um, and, and we did that for two years, I think. 
Um, but we just bet on ourselves. And initially we were very naive and we went to all the banks and had our little presentation and our business plan. We had worked way too much on because we already knew the industry knew what we were doing. We just needed to get going. Um, but every bank in town rejected you. If you didn't have 40% of the capital, you weren't going to get an SBA and yada, yada, yada. So finally one day, I mean, like, screw it. We're 30 something years old. I think we were 31, two. I was 34. Okay. So I was 33. 32. See, I'm younger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nine, months in one day. <laughs> nine months in one day one day um but we basically decided we were going to cash in our 401ks and just said screw it we're 30 something years old we can replace this income let's go and we had one final phone call and i had a boss a good boss a female by the name of lana elmore that was our champion she actually recently died of cancer she was just a beautiful spirit in our lives but she said hey I got this guy that's an investor that would love to talk to you and Amy and we said sure we've talked to every bank we're just going to cash in our 401ks make this go she and I had a 11 a.m call with the guy presented our project independence and he said hey this looks really good can you meet me in Greenville at the city club I'd like to meet you in person so we traipsed down to Greenville the next day he stroked us a deal we took $125,000 from him at 10% interest. We thought that was fantastic. Wow. <laughs> and he got a third of the company. So, you know, that was how we started. We took, we, instead of cashing in our 401ks and trying to rebuild all, all over again, except for the fact Gen X has been hammered constantly by the stock market, then Mr. Financial Advisor knows that. Um, a little bit. <laughs> we took his money and, uh, you know, he made 10%. In two years, we bought him out. We got our money back. We got our, we got our shares back and we're 50-50 owners. He made probably half a million on that deal. And it was a win-win for all of us. Um, you know, I don't think it's that inexpensive now to start a staffing firm. You need a lot more. There's a lot more at risk. But back then, that's what it took us. And, you know, we were profitable by the second year and on our own and, you know, off of, off of that relationship. So you paid them off in two years or one year? Well, the second year we entered a deal. So we, we, we got off the line of credit. We spent 125, got it paid back by the second year. And then we had to negotiate his third. And I think it was a three-year deal. We sent him, you know, checks in the mail. We were his mailbox money for three years. <laughs> that was a great deal for him. And it was a, you know, I love the fact that you bet on yourselves. That's I would say it's 100% of the time for every entrepreneur that we know that has done it, same, same sort of mentality, you have to. Yeah, I don't think that we felt like we had an option. We weren't going to be able to go to work for anyone else at that time. We had gotten to kind of the pinnacle of our career. It was like, we're either going to have to get back on planes and go supervise all these branches, or we can get in the Queen City, get to know everybody. I mean, Amy's first client was at P.F. Chang's in South Park. She met a CEO executive in the takeout line. And back in, 19, uh, back in 2002, when we started, he wrote a letter, had his executive assistant call Amy, wrote a letter to all the CEOs in Charlotte, introducing Amy Pack or Amy Noland at the time, she was not married, uh, and, and to do business with us. So that was wow. like Charlatan 101, right? Like the mm-hmm. biggest, smallest city you'll ever meet. That gentleman took an interest in us. And it I was think sh- he wrote us a check for a placement before we even had a bank account. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we placed the VA and he wrote us a check and we didn't even have anywhere to deposit it. 
So do you remember what you were uh, had ordered that day or you just remember the <laughs> fact that he opened up all the doors for you? <laughs> I don't remember what I ordered, but he did open all the doors and then we just called behind all those letters and then he would have us come to his office like once a quarter and we'd have to, he would make sure we were on the uppity up and we were working hard and where were we on our business plan and who had we met and who had we not met with. That is fantastic. That is a quintessential Charlotte story though, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we love doing business here and raising our families here. Right. So you had uh, said that your tagline is the same as the beginning, right? But obviously companies evolve. So talk us through the evolution of the business vision, right? So what you had envisioned this company is going to be right off the bat, take us through that, that evolution. How have things changed and how have you adapted to it? Amy, um, yeah, I can start with that. You know, what we envisioned to where we are today, I can, I don't think we had, we didn't, like, you can't see 19 yeah. years down the road, right? But, you know, in the beginning, it was like, these girls can own this town. Um, is what we would always say to ourselves. But, you know, building people's companies and careers, it just, you know, was following those relationships, following the candidates to where they landed, whether we placed them or they landed on their own or through another firm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think when we got to like four or five employees, we thought it was great and it was great, right? Um, and then we purchased our second office space through an SBA loan and um, that was on South Boulevard across the street from where we originally started. And, you know, then that was like a, the next evolution as to who we were. And then um, we had a, um, a competitor slash mentor in Charlotte that said, you guys need to get into the IT staffing space. And we're like, what? Um, and, you know, he kind of pushed us along in that, um, in that space. And then that was another evolution, right? And starting to cross-sell our um, our existing clients into the IT space and grow that. Um, and then we had somebody that came along and said, hey, you need to start engineering. So again, building people, companies, and careers. Um, and we started engineering for a period of time. And subsequent, in between that, when we started the IT business, we won um, a large piece of business in the financial services industry, which has been a 10-year relationship. And so those, they, those relationships evolve over time. The opportunities evolve. Your relationships evolve you know we look back and you know some of our early placements of individuals who were accounting managers are now CFOs right and we've always you know worked really hard to maintain strong relationships and do the right thing and help you know sometimes you you know you just got to give people information you don't expect anything in return from it um, and so we're really big on that you know with building people's companies and careers building the relationships and following those relationships through the evolution of where someone is today and, and where they could be in the future. Yeah, it's incredible how when you, you do the right things for people and take care of them and pay attention, how things naturally reciprocate over time. So sounds like that, that was something that came by naturally, even right at the beginning, those first questions, both of you were talking about paying attention, being curious, taking care of people. And that's kind of been the staple throughout your entire story, which is incredible. So one thing I'm really intrigued by uh, with YouTube, because you've had such a long partnership and, and are close, right? You get vac vacation together. Um, how were roles and responsibilities defined within the partnership? 
Um, in the beginning, I would say we both did a lot of the same things because we were trying to get the business off the ground and it was mm -hmm. just, you know, let's do this today. Let's do that tomorrow. Um, as the business started to get legs, we started to, we, we had some challenges because in the beginning we were both doing a lot of the same things. And what was happening is the staff would come to me for an answer and then run down the hall or upstairs when we grew, Amy was on one floor, I was on another in one of the offices, you know, then they would run to her and it was just sucking up so much time. Mm -hmm. And finally, when we just got to a tipping point, it was like the last downturn coming out of that in 210, our growth rates were like 40 and 60%. We just had to finally divide and conquer. And we just picked things that we were either passionate about um, and we owned it or things that we were just good at. And, and, and so in, in a lot of instances, Amy owns half of kind of the functions in the back office. I own half on the back office. And then we divide and conquer as well in the lines of business. And there are some things that we are both really passionate about, which is our brand. Um, we're really passionate about the core values jointly together. Um, we're, you know, super passionate about the staff and, you know, what their career paths look like. How do we grow them? How do we reward them? What do those relationships look like? So there are some things that we just do together because it, as co-founders and co-CEOs, you have to do some things jointly. Um, but in the back of the house, we divide and conquer very smoothly and mm -hmm. it, it works well. If there's a big decision to be made, I always do all the homework and go to Amy and say, okay, I got to make this big decision. What do you want? Are you in agreement? Or she'll come back and say, hey, I've done all this work with the CFO. I need you to look at this. Let's slow down and jointly make a decision. But it's just been a really easy, easy yin and yang for us. Yeah. And you had mentioned having some of those challenges at the beginning. So, so walk us through some of the challenges and hurdles you had of, of growing this company and, and how you two were able to approach it. Um, so when I think, you know, in the very, very beginning, um, we were probably only in business two or three years. Yeah, and, you know, obviously we were super protective of our clients, right? Because um, it was, a, you know, a new business that we were growing. We had a consultant slash friend come in and she said, well, wait a minute, y'all can't be the only people talking to the client. You'll never grow this way. Um, and we were like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Um, but we were super protective of that. So, you know, that was one of the big initial hurdles so that we could then um, exponentially grow from there. Um, you know, you know, I think one of the other challenges Patty mentioned is that, you know, it's kind of like a kid, like you go to mom and then you go to dad, then you go to mom and then you go to dad. And we felt, you know, found that we were duplicating um, efforts in a lot of ways. And I would tell you, um, it's very rare that you would find that we're going to disagree or, you know, not say, oh, yeah, that's fine. Let's, let's do that. So we found like we were duplicating a lot of efforts from that perspective. Um, and that's when we finally said we have to divide and conquer some of these things. There's been times that she would take certain lines of business and I would take other lines of business, depending on what's going on. Um, so it really just depended on, you know, what was happening internal to the company and what was happening within the market at the time. Is there anything you'd add to that, Patty? Just as we grew, we had to hire people to do the work. So we tried, you know, there for a while, we outsourced accounting and then we got too big. We needed the data now. We couldn't outsource. So we hired a CFO and we, you know, brought our accounting in-house. 
um, all the lines of business started to really grow independently as subject matter experts. So we then had to have division directors and VPs responsible for a line. So it, it became very uh, specific and, you know, we're not a generalist staffing firm. We may have six lines of business, but they are six subject matter experts by line. Uh, they don't cross pollinate in the types of work that they do. So we had to put together a division director suite. We put together a stock option plan for the group so they would have ownership in the business. Um, you know, we, we delivered on that, the stock agreement. And, you know, we've really been able to grow the business by giving, I always say, you know, we're only going to be as good as the people that, that work here and can elevate us to the next level. Amy and I have clear you know, we have ideas and visions and interesting things that we're interested in, but this company's future is dependent on the, the, what they see that division now becoming and what they can propel it to do. So we're, we're now about 60 internal employees and about 200 consultants that are out um, at our clients, either as a statement of work or contract staffing, you know, employees. And, you know, that has to be done through other people. Uh, we, we, we get to navigate the ship at the top and be active in some accounts, but you, you have to really be re willing to delegate and, and set expectations, have great communication cadence. We hired an external leadership development company called the Center for Intentional Leadership here in Charlotte. They do great work. Um, we, we are very, very good, Amy and I, at knowing what when we are getting ready to fall outside of our lanes. Like uh, if we're feeling uncertain, uh, things might not be going the way we want and we can't get to everything, we hire experts. Um, we have a strategy expert in the house right now that's helping us kind of propel some, some areas of automation, AI and robotics that we know we have to do and we are really passionate about it, but we don't, we've never done it. So we got to go hire the guy or gal to help us get it done. So I'm all about spending money to make money. It is not a problem, um, but we had to get to a certain point financially for it not to be a problem. Right. So I got a question. Um, I mean, your story is so unique. Um, you know, just even how you first met <laughs> in, in the early years, I just think that's fantastic. Um, oftentimes when you have co-CEOs, I've seen only a couple that have actually worked. Yours is one compliance line who is also on our <laughs> uh podcast earlier on with the, the Gallows, you know, they're brothers and they are co-CEOs, but usually you've got, it may be entitled, but somebody is like really the visionary, somebody's the operational person, but it sounds to me like both of you are pretty visionary. Would, would you agree? Or how, how's the split on visionary versus execution, uh, you know, fit b between the two of you? Why don't you take that, Patty? I don't, it's divine intervention, and I'm not an overly religious person. Uh, Amy goes to church, and I always ask her to make sure she gets me in heaven. Um, <laughs> is there a uh, plus, but, plus one? Is that, is that how this works? Plus one. <laughs> I'm like, if you get there, can you let them know I'm really good, even though I don't go to church every Sunday? Um, but anyways, it has got to be divine because, I mean, literally, I don't know many times that she and I have had a, a tit for tat. I mean, we are two women and just like two girlfriends, we get on each other's nerves, but like we, we know that space and it's like on the weekends, if we've killed each other at work all week and it's been a tough week, like she won't hear from me, I won't hear from her. It, it could be a really 
tough week. Last Friday was a tough day for us in the office. We got a lot of great things going on, but a lot of change and we were fried out. And so Sunday I text her, I said, Hey, I'm driving to my aunt's house. I need to, I got an idea. Can we talk? And she jumped on the call with me at three o'clock. There's a lot of that. That's just, I don't have an explanation. I wish I did. We just are, we're meant to be together. It is, you know, I don't know, like some marriages, you know, you got the one, like, we've just always been like this. We read each other's minds. We're um, easy to be around together. Sometimes like external factors, I think probably have a hard time coming in because the two of us are pretty thick as thieves. Um, And we know that we know that we can be, we we can be tough, the two of us together. So we're cognizant of that. Um, but it's just natural. I, I don't, I, I, we're just super blessed. And then she remarried and found this great husband and my husband loves her husband. I mean, it is like, I feel super blessed. That is very unusual when you have spouses that also get along, you know, cause usually that's not the case. You may be best friends and then there's just not the chemistry that works there. So that's, that's really cool. Cause I do believe that two heads are always better than one. It's just, Finding the right, as you said, yin, yin and yang that actually fit and where you can, you guys have been together so stinking long that I think it is really powerful. But I think business partnerships are even tougher than marriages because you don't have kids and the, the you know, the sacredness of a vow, you know, not everybody takes that so seriously, but seriously, I mean, I think business partnership is harder because of those things. And yet when it works, like I see that with you guys and it's like, I mean, again, as having had to have sold against you, (laughs) I was like, if we're, if we're up against a crew partners, like, forget about it. (laughs) We certainly hope that's the case everywhere because we have a lot of competition. (laughs) One other question about, that and competition. So in the staffing world, it's pretty dog eat dog. It's a tough business. Um, It depending, the bigger the company is, the more commoditized it can become dealing with the, you know, VMS systems at the big banks and whatever, right? It's about, you know, what's the, the cost per hour and all that kind of stuff. Talk to us about how you've been able to delineate. I mean, your culture is thick and it's, I mean, um, I, I'd never met you guys before, but I, I knew when we were selling up against you, like it, it was just, we, we had a minimal chance of, of placing people, but with big companies, Sometimes that doesn't really matter. You know, it's just like, can you fill the body at the time that they need it or whatever? Talk to us about what has been a differentiating factor for you, not only attracting talent, but also being able to attract those contracts with the the bigger companies. Yeah, so, um, you know, again, it goes back to relationships that we mentioned earlier, right? You have to have those relationships so that you can get out of the transaction of, uh, of a contract, right? You have a contract just to keep you into some boundaries or, or things that need to be done upon finding the right hire. But it really is about the relationships and having the advocates internal to the, to the various companies that we've always said is super important. 
and many a times, many of many a times, those relationships have um, been individuals who have been candidates of ours, and it's all about, you know, treating that person like a human, so that you're not, so that you can get out of the transaction. It's returning that phone call, it's returning that email, returning that text, um, and we've always been of that mentality, and it's it's certainly, um, you know, paid dividends forward for us. But from a culture perspective, you know, as Patty mentioned a few minutes ago, our core values are are very important. We talk about our core values in interviews. We, um, you know, 30, 60, 90, six month, one year reviews are about core values. Um, we talk about our core values to our clients. So um, the core values are very important. And then the accrued partners business systems in which we deliver um, and we take all searches through, whether it's contract, statement of work or direct hire. Um, all clients, doesn't matter if it's the, the uh, marketing line of business, IT, accounting, human resources, um, and all lines of business use the accrued partners business system so the client can ensure that the process is exactly the same in, in order to ensure a positive outcome. And when we don't have the positive outcome or something doesn't go as expected, we can dial back into those 19 steps and figure out, okay, what, where was the shortcut? What was skipped? What happened so that we can course correct and fix that? And so um, you know, as we have the division directors and the VPs of the other divisions, yes, they do operate autonomously, and there's some uniqueness amongst all of them. There is this one core thing that we all come back to for delivery, and that's the accrued partners business systems. Our clients say, what is your secret sauce? And it's that. I love it. So how did you, I mean, you guys had your project independence, uh, which I love that. <laughs> I love that just the name of it is perfect, but you had, you had methodically kind of thought through this. It wasn't just like, Hey, let's go do that. You guys were very methodical about that. And I assume that you came upon your core values and your processes in the same sort of deliberate way. How did you move into that process of defining those core values to where you knew that they weren't just something on a wall somewhere, but that you were actually hiring and firing based on those as well as your processes. How did you have a, an outside coach work with you on those or did you just do them together? How, how, how'd that happen? Um, in, the, in the first high growth period that we had, which was out of the 08, recession, like 10 and 11, we were starting to formulate the division directors over the line and we needed everyone on like a common page. We didn't have core values until then. And our business was eight or nine years old. We just had the tagline. <laughs> um, and so we just knew that we needed to get all these leaders and us to some core value that we all agreed to. So we did, we hired the Center for Unintentional Leadership back then and we did it offsite. They coached us for a year and we came to those core values. Actually, most recently in 2019, uh, we did a refresh on those core values because the staff has changed, the leaders had changed, our company had changed. And we did a refresh on those core values that had more meaning in the state of the company, you know, 17, 18 years old than it did, you know, eight or nine years old. So those core values, it's just a great way for to come together and say, as a culture, we always win together. That behavior, you know, from the client or you, that, that didn't, that's not how we operate. Or, wow, look at that. We just all won together in a really hard situation following our core values or teaching millennials how investing in relationships is not in a text message, that it's going to lunch at Firebirds and learning about someone's family and what their wife does for a living and how their boss is doing and, 
you know, we use the core values in a lot of conversations. And uh, to Amy's point earlier, we bring them to the client meetings and say, this is the foundation of how we operate. Do you like it? Because <laughs> if you don't, you might need to go down the street and use some other firm yeah. that, you know, uh, and that has won us more business than ever is, is taking our clients' core values and our core values and looking at them and figuring out how are we actually going to work together. And I love that about our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, the business systems came from, this is so old school guys, but like, you remember when you started your job, um, Gary probably remembers this more than Ben since Ben's a little bit younger, but you'd show up to work and you'd get this training manual, a five ring binder. And like, here's how you do your job. Well, yeah. We used to have a really big double thick one. Uh, and we had a client that asked us to come in and do a Kaizen on their HR business systems. And I and Amy just had an aha moment. We were like, holy moly, that training manual we have is our business systems. So we gathered the leadership team together and it was not with a consultant. It was just us and we hashed out every step and it's gone from 19 to 17 back to 19. Um, but we really put down what is the success formula. And then during COVID, um, we went all remote and we the business system was great, but we were missing kind of some pieces. So we, we followed Jim Collins uh, prescribed flywheels. So now we have some flywheel activity going with the business system. And that is really what's going to take us to the future. Like nobody else has this story. You know, everybody's trying to copy our business systems. We publish it on our website. I don't care. Good luck trying to repeat it. Um, but the flywheels about how we interact with our, our clients and our overall company flywheel, you know, that has really been something that during COVID, you know, we all got around what it took to be successful. And that's not about steps. That's about momentum and, and getting certain pieces to lean on other pieces to just momentum fly the business. And we're pretty confident that's coming. We've had just a crazy post-COVID influx of business and, you know, we're very optimistic. So, so you guys have, have hit a lot on different decisions you've made throughout the year. Right. And, and now you're at this point where you've got division directors, you've got, you said over 60 internal employees. What's the decision-making look like today of how you divide up of what you two decide together on that three o'clock on a Sunday type phone call versus bringing in other people on your leadership team and directors and people inside the company? I can take that. Um, there's a couple of things. One, we entered into a formal management rigor. So every Wednesday we have a management meeting with all the division directors and VPs and it's, it can be topic specific or it can be, hey, let, let's talk about some challenges. And some of the challenges with COVID, you know, we had never had before. We were already a little bit remote prior to COVID, but going fully remote, you know, we just needed to talk to each other and figure out how to, how to make decisions on things we had not been faced with. Um, but we kind of have like, hey, you, this is the pricing structure. You, this is what we want. You can go down to this. This is not a permission-based environment. You own it, be entrepreneurial. Um, and, you know, we have certain foundational customer success, you know, experiences that we have expectations and we, we grade that. So they have a lot of autonomy to work with their customers and their teams and the review structures um, to, to be with the staff. I will say, you know, those six or eight people on the management team, I think it's eight, those eight people, if they need something, they are relying horizontally on each other first now. We've gotten that far. 
where now they go to each other. And if they don't feel comfortable and they still want Panda advice, which is what they call Amy and I, Patty and Amy, Panda. <laughs> Panda. <laughs> um, if they need Panda advice, they'll come and get it. Um, and they've done a much better job figuring, you know, they know who to go to. It's kind of just culturally with the company, they know who to go to. Um, or if it's a problem now with, with uh, Zoom and Teams, like they just jointly put us on a call and it was really easy. Um, yeah. But they're, they're, they have the, they, they know what things that we care about that Amy and Patty just want to know about. And they know like, go make that happen, please, you know, get it done. So I want to go back to your core values because um, there are more, there are so many CEOs that talk it or they kind of give lip service to it, but much fewer that get it. You know, I think you get it. And so anybody listening, go to crewpartners.com and their five are there. Make an impact, invest in relationships, work with passion and purpose, win together and be better than yesterday. Like, I like all of those things. Here's the question. What, give me an example of when those core values got tested with somebody that either don't use names, <laughs> where <laughs> they may have been a star performer, but they were infracting on those or in something where those things got tested of, are these real or not? Yeah, I can give you an example. Um, I could probably give lots of examples, but, um, you know, again, build, but, you know, I'll use the invest in relationships, right? And then, you know, kind of it segues to be better than yesterday, you know, it's super important that we follow those relationships, we, be it a candidate becomes a client, a client, you know, somebody goes from one company to the next and, and making sure that you're following that relationship so that when there is a search and there is an opportunity that they know that you care about them, right? And it's not just about the transaction, but, you know, we have um, rock on cards that we send and, you know, we want them to have a personal touch to it, but how can you work, how can you work with a company, a client, and a decision maker without acknowledging that they have made a job change or and without, you know, doing all the fundamental steps internal to accrue partners so that they, you know, they know that we care about them and that they're there and reaching out to them versus making them feel like they're just an email on the other side. And so that's really big about investing in relationships because people don't want to be perceived as a, as a transaction. They want to be more than a transaction. Have you had to make a hard call where you had a good performer that, you know, destroyed some of those where you had to say change or get out? Oh, yeah. I would say we've actually had good departures and bad departures with that. So I would, if I could reflect back on my 19 years, I mean, we had a long tenured, tenure employee that it just, we just, he fell out of love with us and we fell out of love with him and he was bored and we were not done yet and we needed more and he needed less. And we just one day said, Hey, you know what? It's like, we're getting divorced. You're sleeping in another room. Um, can we just have a conversation about this and let's end this nicely? And he deserved a very good 
you know, exit. He was with us for 10 years and he took us through some hard years and got us growth. And he's now in business for himself and we're super proud of him. And um, many of our ex-employees work with him. It's, it's all good. It was a good, mm. we just kind of grew out of each other. And, and it mm. came with really good communication, coaching from Center for Intentional Leadership that not all conflict is bad. And we ended that well. We've also had some not so ending well, um, who, you know, we, we didn't like the behavior. They didn't act in the core values. They were perceived as one of the top builders in the company, but we're actually running the division year over year in the ground. And we saw some bad behavior and we just said, Hey, this doesn't fit how Amy and I operate. This doesn't fit our core values. We don't, we have high integrity. And unfortunately it's time to go. And they're tough decisions, but you get to a better place and you feel relieved. And in some instances it propels you to the next level. You kind of, as bad as it is, sometimes you have to dis- when you've been in business 19 years, sometimes you have to let some stuff go. It's almost like the business where your, your revenue goes up, it comes down, but it goes up again, it comes down. You kind of have to make those staffing choices if people can't go that journey. And, and we have one person who's been with us going on 10 years, first job out of college, like this gal has been on the journey and she'll be here probably as long because she keeps rolling with the change. And she knows that Amy and I aren't done yet. We're not complacent. This is not where we end. And if you want to come here and get to a certain place and you're comfortable, like you're probably not going to like working with Panda. (laughs) And we're okay with it. Yeah, being better than yesterday. We're very feedback rich, right? And so in our world, no two scenarios are ever the same, right? And there are times that I have to call Patty and say, hey, help me through this. Let's role play, you know. Um, But, you know, being better than yesterday, people have to know that feedback's a gift and take it and, and... and run with it to continue to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because so many people quite often get caught up in not making those types of decisions, right? You push it off and the longer you push it off, the longer you're just postponing being able to grow in a healthy way. And, and it's those types of hard decisions that end up propelling you forward. Mm-hmm. Well, when you make those hard decisions and then after you've rip that band-aid off sometimes the people underneath they flourish like you have never seen step up to the plate they grow i mean it's just fun to see it's also a constant reinforcement that you truly believe in the core values right you're living them every day you're not making a decision on purely revenue or opportunity or something like that these are the core values this is foundation and you're making tough decisions based off of that, which I'm sure trickles down to the other employees because they see you live it. Yeah, you said something interesting about the core values and financials. And I would say about two years ago, we used to do like a, a presentation every year on our goals and objectives and what we were going to be. And it was, it was a lot of financials. You're going to break 30 million, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, but we didn't concentrate back on the core value piece. So about two years ago, we started to really slice and dice and look at the business. And there were pieces of the business where margins weren't the best. The customer was bad behavior. We just kept chasing revenue, right? And finally, it was like, oh, you know what? It's, we're going to slow this down. We're going to get rid of some of the customers that aren't profitable. We're going to get rid of the engineering line of business, which Amy and I thought was the most boring thing on the planet. We weren't interested in it. Uh, and, and, and really focus on, you know, yes, we want to grow and we want to have great financials, but like we want the core values to hold. And what ended up happening is the EBITDA is better than it's ever been, although revenue's down, 
we are financially outperforming our history. So, so be it. The, the core values really drive the, the results the way that they should. And uh, we're getting smarter about that. We did spend several years just chasing revenue, um, trying to get past that 30 million, thought there was some magic at the end of that rainbow. Um, but what we found is it's all about the quality of the business, you know, that really returns the ROI. And it less stresses your people out less. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is everybody's always watching the leader and they're waiting to see if mom and dad, in your case, mom and mom, <laughs> are, are going to, you know, are you going to pull the trigger or are you going to just let Johnny, you know, keep making a mess because Johnny's bringing home the bacon? You know, what are you going to do? That it just, it, it's so interesting to me. Um, one other thing that I want to ask about you, which it's an observation. One of the things that I would say across every great leader that we've interviewed on this program, as well as the ones that I think Ben and I could name off personally, the ones that we aspire to be like, they have this humility and teachableness, which when you, you've referenced the, the Center for Intentional Leadership a couple of times. Well, it takes some humility, especially with a program like that, where they're peeling the onion back, right? I mean... <laughs> There's not a lot of places to hide in those programs. <laughs> I went through the BB&T uh, uh, Leadership Institute, and, and that was a, just a week-long thing, but it was intense. And like, there, there's, there's nothing to hide. So I just think that that's, I want to just salute both of you for that. It's a really powerful thing. It, it kind of fits back into your core values. But um, for anybody listening to this, you're going to do yourself a humongous favor when you embrace the fact that you don't know everything and that you hire people that can compliment you and maybe smarter than you in certain areas. Uh, it doesn't diminish you. It actually strengthens you. So uh, I just had to say that before I let it go. I do want to ask you about this whole thing on GG locators. And I know you said you could go into like another entire, you know, episode on that but can you give us a little insight as to what that is and what it was and you know you had plenty on your plates already um I'll, you want to tell it no you go for it yeah okay um it's a really interesting cool story so gg locators is it stands for good game locators and anybody that's got teenage boys and girls um you know the esports gaming extended vr ar reality is is exploding um i and amy have two boys and you know raised their boys together her son's three years older than mine and you know there came a time at the kitchen table at night when my son quit kind of talking and he was upstairs on his videos screaming and yelling at somebody playing a video game i didn't know what it was but i felt like at the dinner table he's kind of slipping away um so i started following on instagram all these gaming um you know uh esports teams and his, his games, League of Legends. And we went to Miami to a national tournament, much like the Super Bowl, but it was a Super Bowl of esports. And um, Cloud9 was playing 100, 100 Thieves. Um, and it, I was blown away. I called Amy. I'm like, oh my God, this, this isn't a bunch of 40 year old bald men trying to like, you know, get my son to run away. <laughs> this is like college kids playing athletic level video. There's broadcasters and pretty girls running around. You know, it's like, 
was amazing. So when we got home, I, I just, there was an article in the New York, uh, the Wall Street Journal, and it published the day I got home. And it said that for the first time in the history, uh, in, since 2010, they would be releasing a, a college and high school sport, and it was esports. And the prior sport to be released 10 years earlier was lacrosse. And I just had an epiphany. I called Amy. I'm like, there's something to this. These games are amazing. The jobs, what are people doing? So we had a friend that had a son that was struggling at Clemson. Again, invest in relationships. He was fighting depression. And we said, hey, come in the office. We'll hire him as an intern. And we, Amy and I had this kid research for like a year, a whole gaming esports industry, the jobs, the teams, the, the companies and we just woke up one day and we were like, we need a side hustle. Like this is a crew thing. It's going great. But like, we got some time. We got all these division directors and VPs. They're all flying around doing great. Let's start this little gaming company. We can wear tennis shoes and t-shirts to work. <laughs> <laughs> not, you're pearls, talking. not pearls and black dresses like over here. So um, anyways, it started from being just fun, you know, kind of what is this thing? And I had, a, uh, Amy and I had an internal employee uh, that was getting bored of IT staffing, and I did not want her to leave us. And I said, hey, will you come run this little gaming business? Amy and I will give you, you know, a couple hundred grand. Let's start this thing. We knew what it was going to take from starting a crew partners 20 years ago on 125. It was going to take more. Uh, and she took the ground running. We're now three employees. They had a record-breaking month. Matter of fact, they outperformed one of our leading divisions uh, in a crew. And in COVID, it's just exploded. The beautiful thing about Gigi is there's no known competitor in the United States. Really? IT staffing firms try to do the work, but they are not experts in gaming. Yeah. So all of those competitors, it is so much fun going on a call. With how, with how big that is, right? Because like those championships that you're talking about, it's, it's more viewed than every sporting event except the Super Bowl. It's massive. So I'm surprised there's nobody else that's trying to specialize in it. Not in staffing, not in oh. search. And, it, and it's, it's not easy. It, it, it's VFX artists, engineers. I mean, like animators doing combat animation, leaf animation. I mean, just fascinating jobs. Fascinating. That's Everything pays so a buck 50. Like it's a great profession. Um, so we're just playing. It's a hobby right now, but we're going on year three. It's profitable. Amy and I are, you know, making money on it. Um, it's another little brand that we're curating. Uh, we've tried to curate a lot of brands through the years and we yeah. <laughs> we're not going there. <laughs> we, we've had a lot of things that we could hear the money going down the toilet. <laughs> um, but this one is a winner. We're in year three and it, it's got legs. It's got legs. Well, you know what I even like about that, where you were laughing, <laughs> the visceral reaction on other brands or whatever well, guess what? Everybody tries and fails unless they're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to succeed and move forward if you're uh, averse to failing. And no, none of us like it doing it, but you, you got to believe in yourself. I mean, it goes back to the original part of your story. We bet on ourselves. You know, you're curious. I mean, even this whole, like, that is really interesting. I mean, um you're right we could do an entire episode on yeah on we, we may actually need to do one on that um so <laughs> well just, it's really interesting there's just not a lot of gaming esports 
leaders, thought leaders in Charlotte. You know, that's been the hard thing. It's the first bit, like we, Accru Partners is Charlotte-centric. Man, we are the queen city. We are the queens of staffing, let me tell you. But there's, in, in the gaming thing, it's just, it's a national play. And it would be really nice to start to see some leadership in a, in a, a sports industry that's just exploding. I mean, the NBA 2K is coming with the Hornets and there's going to be more Madden. And there's going to be, things but charlotte doesn't seem to have that yet so all of our you know relationships are really you know outside of the market um and you know it's a remote company it's it started that way and you know covid only increased our sales i mean we had not a skip in the beat at all Mm -hmm. well there are some more that are bubbling up in in charlotte so offline we can talk about some of those uh, other local connections uh, that could be interesting and feed Like I had no idea. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll have some other people that have listened to it to this point. Um, and uh, I do think it might be an interesting uh, podcast where we get, wouldn't that be kind of fun to do a round table if we got some of the e-gaming people in town and you guys we talked a little bit about that because that's an emerging thing that is still below the radar of a lot of people, but it's pretty big. Well, you know? and UNC Charlotte has a game design uh, yeah. bachelor's program. So we've got, we're going to have the talent here, but there's no, none of the companies. So we got to, mm-hmm. we got to work on that. Okay, cool. Love it. Well, I know we're kind of hitting towards the ending hour here. Ben, you want to, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up because otherwise we'll keep you two here all day. So where can we send people? Where's the best place for them to check out the companies and then also to, to follow yourselves? So um, they can go to our website, to, to, to accruepartners.com. Um, we also have a info at accruepartners.com mailbox um, that um, gets checked frequently as well. And then obviously Amy and Patty were Patty at accruepartners.com and Amy at accruepartners.com. Or you can do Panda at accruepartners.com. Really? <laughs> you can get both of you. One email, two ladies. So there you go. Um, what about LinkedIn? Are you both on LinkedIn? Oh, of course. Of course. Yep. yep. I would hope so. Spend we'll way too much money with those people. Can we find a solution to LinkedIn? Can we get a disruptor, please? yeah Yeah, exactly thank you both for for coming on this has been amazing we we really appreciate it thanks for having us it was fun uh yeah you guys are awesome thank you